0: Welcome to the 500th episode of the Supermarcato Brothers video game
1: music podcast. Insane. This is a podcast where we share and discuss the very best in video game music. My name is Carl Brueggemann. Thank you so much, everyone, for getting us to this point. We love you
0: guys. This is such an exciting episode. And you're Will Brueggemann, right? I am. I am. (laughs) I almost forgot for half a second because I'm just so excited about today's episode. Man, it's... It's crazy because 500 episodes and uh, we're right around the corner from our 10th anniversary of doing this podcast. Mm -hmm. Our first episode went live on February 11th of 2012. And at the time of recording, it's only a couple days after Christmas 2021. But we're right around the corner from it being 10 years, 10 years, 500 episodes. Carl, what are some of your feelings right now about kind of... It feels like it's
1: been just such a whirlwind. It's crazy that it's been so long. In some ways it feels longer than 10 years, and in some ways it feels way less than 10 years. Uh, it's a really weird, weird feeling. Yeah, I guess I'm kind of in a state of disbelief right now. Uh, we've talked uh, for the you know, past few weeks, even months, that this is really kind of the end of an era in a lot of ways. Right. We have some plans for, for what we're going to do Going forward, but it's going to be definitely a change. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I guess right now I'm just reminiscing and thinking about all of the wonderful memories and you know connections and wonderful things that this podcast has brought to both of us personally, musically, professionally. Well, and it's, I think it's just biggest, been a treat.
0: Well, and really, I think the biggest thing for both of us is just all of the relationships that we've made. Like, the yeah. friendships. I mean, we, we've we made so many, not just internet friendships, but genuine close friendships. You know, people we've invited to our weddings. Mm-hmm. Like, people who are really close friends in our lives that we've met through one way or the other, something related to this podcast. Yeah. And that's been the ultimate blessing because, you, you know, you just think back and it's just like, my life has been so much greater for having known all these people, whether it's Tim Turry or Travis Anderson or Carlos or the Kellys or, I mean, the list the, goes the list on. could go on and on and on and on. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's, it, I, I can't imagine my life without these people. And I can't imagine my life without all of our incredible listeners and without this podcast, yeah. you know, the, the thing that was interesting is I remember when I went off to college By the way, you guys are hearing our dog, my dog Coco. And I can't imagine my (laughs) life without you, Cokie. So you're going to hear some dog sounds. Oh no! It's it's you were saying though. No, but I remember when I went off to college, we were kind of worried if we were going to be able to keep this going because up until that point, we did everything in person because you know we lived in the same town. Um, But. It's incredible that not only was it able to survive that, that, but that's most of the era of the podcast was that the the entire time I was in college after. And, you know, when I moved to Chicago, uh, I know there was also maybe some worries about it, but it's, we were still going strong. And the thing that's amazing is I think, you know, if we didn't have this weekly routine of recording and producing this podcast together, I think we probably wouldn't have stayed in touch as closely as yeah. we have over the years. Yeah, it
1: is. It is interesting how like the podcast has remained uh, a a way where no matter what, we're definitely going to have that every single week. Right. And sometimes, you know, when our lives are really busy, we don't really have a lot of other opportunities to stay in touch and to talk. So it is nice to have that excuse to always do that. Um, so that's one of the things that's how we always remain so enjoyable. Well, and that's about the other the interesting thing is. I mean, sometimes there'll be a long period of time where
0: we don't see each other in person. And it's always like, you know, we hug each other and it's great Mm -hmm. to see. But it never feels like, oh, my gosh, it's been so long. We have to catch up. It kind of feels like we're always ever presently in each other's lives. And
1: that's such I'm so grateful for that. And who knows what it would have been like without this podcast. And really, I mean, I think we have such a long history of Having fun together, playing together, collaborating together, that I really can't imagine having as successful a podcast that lasted as long with anyone else. I mean, I don't just don't think it would have it would have worked. It would have happened. So thanks, man. I'm very, very grateful. So we have some some things we're going to do today on this. We have a lot of different segments uh, for this very special 500th episode. Um, And so look forward to a lot of fun and some surprises today. The first thing I want to do is I have a few questions. I have five questions, kind of talking point questions I prepared. I thought we could cover a few of them right now. So the first one I have and Will, you can start What's your favorite episode that we've done from a pride perspective when you look back on the work uh, that you feel really proud of or that you just think is especially solid? That's a good question. I think for a long time, it was
0: the history of video game music episode Mm -hmm. that we did, which I believe was like twenty-six. Uh, Cause that was the first one it that was. we really took time to kind of craft. We like scripted out things and we really prepared kind of like we've done for panels. And that was really the origin of, of that aspect of kind of like the panels or lectures that we do. That was a very so important I have, one. That, that has a, a great spot in my heart.
1: Um, Inspirations and influences. Is yeah. Up there for me. I
0: think when I look back at all of it, it it's gotta be the Takashi Tateishi interview. I mean, We've interviewed so many composers that we grew up loving, and there've been so many mm-hmm. incredible, special moments. Whether it's Dave Wise or Manami Matsumai, uh, but Takashi—I mean, it's like Mega Man Two i it's i mean it's in my top 10 <laughs> and uh it's one of the most iconic that video was game incredible. of all well, time also
1: getting to just meet be him able to be in the same room with him i mean because I, I think one of my answers is our tim fallen episode oh, and i think yeah. that's because it was such a rare scoop that we got him for that he's not someone that had done a lot of Interviews and or podcasts like that. What was also surprising to me
0: about the Tim Fallon episode is maybe just because he hadn't done many other interviews, and I knew that he was sort of out of games. I had always just sort of made the assumption that he'd be this sort of reclusive, very quiet, maybe a little bit kind of icy yeah, person. Yeah, and he was the but opposite. He was so, he was so friendly. warm he was and so gregarious, really <laughs> humble and just a blast to talk to.
1: Yeah, I think I think definitely a lot of the episodes we did on season premieres when we really put a lot of Work into them and and tried to share different contexts, different sides of EGM, Five Finger Fanfare, Dorian. A lot of those episodes like that. I'm I'm very proud of. And
0: I think you know, as we look beyond these sort of post episode 500, you know, Mm -hmm. one of the things that we're going to do is we're going to stop numbering the episodes going forward. So yep. this will be the last numbered episode. And one of the reasons we're doing that is we want to intentionally make it clear that we're going to be adopting sort of a non-uniform format. And I think what's exciting about that is I think that the will give The opportunity for
1: a lot of different types of episodes.
0: Yeah. And I think the the style of episodes that we've done for season premieres, I think a lot of that sort of spirit of finding something creative or a different approach, uh, we're going to have more opportunities to do mm. that. And that's something that I'm really excited about to to try things out. And it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, recurring segments. But if we like it and it goes well, it it certainly can be. Um. Oh my gosh! Now Your both dogs the dogs are, are, are so down cute. here.
1: <laughs> now Luna and Coco are down here. I don't know. I feel like it's fitting. <laughs> that's been that's been one of the big challenges, right? Is recording a podcast while having a bunch of pets. Are they the Marcato sisters? Uh, I would say so. Them? I would say so. Okay. So my next question is: What was the most fun episode you actually had to record? Like when you think about how fun it was to actually record, maybe the music that just like some especially awesome jams. I know for me. I would say it was the Princess Connect episodes. I just remember the feeling of being so blown away by that music. That was definitely up there. That music is, yeah, definitely pretty untouchable. I think my favorite
0: episodes to record, though, were always ones either in person or with a collection of
1: people... 400 was really fun Obviously any of the MAGFest interviews Were incredible Some of my favorites Were the ones that The three of
0: us did You, me, and Marty Like the Super Mario Brothers Trilogy episode I remember when so we fun. did uh, The Twilight Princess episode That mm-hmm. was one of my favorites uh, to, to record Yeah,
1: I think we did The Twilight and The Wind Waker With Marty yeah. We did those like Back to back My next question is What are some of the things That doing this podcast Has taught you Uh, and in general skills that this podcast has given you?
0: Yeah, I remember in high school um, having to give uh, a speech in English class based on kind of like an analysis of this book or a play we were reading. I honestly Mm -hmm. don't remember, but I remember getting a really good grade on it and feeling kind of comfortable and confident speaking in front of the class. And I also remember that I did not Prepare hardly yeah. at all for it.
1: You're able, to and BS I did really <laughs>
0: well. And I remember thinking, like, wow, if I didn't have a podcast, I don't think I would be this comfortable, sort of speaking publicly and everything. It, it's interesting to think because that was probably only like I a think year or so into doing it. But. I think
1: it's actually crazy when I go back and think. I think doing the podcast every week has helped me out in job interviews. It's helped me mm-hmm. socially, <laughs> right, to be more eloquent uh, yeah, and to it's, have more interesting. Topics of
0: conversation. I think the biggest thing that it's done for me, though, is as a composer, as a musician, like I I can I if I think back to where I was, you know, when I was 16, when we started and some of this is just a product of growing up. But I really do think a big part of it is listening to music and analyzing it every week the way it's so sharpened my ear and my analytical brain. When I listen to a piece of music, I hear all these little details. Oh, there's a sharp nine Mm -hmm. chord.
1: Oh, that's the Lydian mode. Oh, that and it's like instantaneous. Yeah, even if we just think of that, if we take all of the thousands probably, at least hundreds, I know thousands definitely, of pieces of music that we've listened to critically Mm -hmm. and discussed over the years, it has been incredibly educational. I think for both of us as composers, that's one of the things that has really, you know, made us grow and yeah, continue Yeah, and it's, to grow. it's shaped the way that
0: I think both of us approach composition. I mean, I think that's probably obvious to anybody who hears our original music yeah. is that it's a lot of it's very influenced by gay music, some intentionally, some not intentionally. I mean, when I was in college and I did that one-act opera, so many of the comments that I got from all my friends were like, this just sounds like Zelda music, right. which to me that made me so happy. The idea that like there could be an opera that sounds like Zelda. There's something about that that seemed really fitting. Yeah.
1: And I have a very similar thing with my own music is like 90% of the music I make sounds Sonic-y, even right. if I'm not trying to to do that. So I wanted to hear from our wonderful community for this episode 500. So we put together some questions and heard back from a handful of our listeners and made this montage of their answers. Let's take a listen.
2: My favorite thing about the podcast would have to be discovering new music. Stuff that I probably wouldn't have heard were it not for the bros sharing it with me. That's been very, very inspiring. What's the favorite
3: thing about the podcast? I have to say it's just the general combination of passion and knowledge that you and all of your guests bring to the table. Anybody you bring on engenders that passion and knowledge intersection. Their music and the podcast has been a huge help to me during those hard early years of parenting. And especially during the pandemic when we were stuck inside for like three
2: months during the worst of it here in New York City. It was so amazing to have that music to keep us grounded.
4: One is that they are actually bros. That is just so clear in the way they talk to each other. There's so much love and understanding and
3: earnestness underpinning everything that they say to each other.
2: If I could spend a day with the bros, what would I do? Please, please give me a crash course on arrangement. I would love to get some experience arranging some of my favorite video game music tracks to take back to my musical circle.
3: I can only imagine the kind of geeking out I could do with Will and Carl. Talking about our favorite music and composers and how that enhanced the experience of playing some of our favorite video games.
1: We would talk a lot about games, about game music. I'd love to hear them perform because I'm always a sucker for live music.
5: But I think most important of all, we would eat great
1: food. I would make a blue song. Ooh, what would you make up a song about with them? Cats.
4: Yeah, what else? Dogs.
1: (laughs) That sounds pretty fun.
0: Animals.
2: Favorite moment would probably be the most recent Chip Tunes episode because so many of my good friends were featured on it. It's just so awesome that the Bros use their position to lift up those that might be lesser known. I just really loved
3: the Genesis Pool Jazz episode cuz that's just one when it showed up in my feed I was like, "Are you this can't possibly be an episode. That's not a genre. That's not a and then I listened to it and I was like, no, Genesis Pool Jazz is my favorite genre of VGM, actually.
4: <laughs> I'll tell you if you promise to uh, play a clip of it. My favorite moment is when Carl and Will start doing an a cappella cover of Chemical Plant Zone. Man, I would
3: listen to an album of the bros doing a cappella VGM covers. My favorite episodes of the podcast tend to be the ones where they talk about the intersection of classical music and video games, because that's a particular interest of mine. What about Downforce?
1: Yes. Can you tell us about the Downforce game that we like to play? We like to build things and then drive cars through them. While listening to... Downfalls.
2: What would I like to hear more of in the future? I really enjoy the Name That Tune segments from the season finale episodes. And some of my favorite whole episodes are the Favorites with Friends episodes. It's really fun hearing folks in your community bring music that maybe you wouldn't have picked on your own. The relationship between Carl and Will is part of what makes this podcast so great. And I think more of that would make the podcast even better. So, to that end, I'd like to hear more from the third brother, Marty, and Marty's Corner,
3: in the future.
4: What I really love is when the bros take a deep dive into the inspirations and influences.
3: What I would love to hear is more interviews.
1: And I understand that's a challenge, what with availability and language and and those sorts of obstacles, but I really enjoy what they bring to the
3: table as interviewers being musicians and being able to speak that, that sort of language. Thanks to Will and Carl,
2: Thank you, guys.
3: Thank you, Marcado Brothers. Hey, as long as you guys are, are pumping out episodes, I and many others will be here to listen. Thank you for what you've put out into the world.
0: Absolutely heartwarming. Thank you so much, everyone, for sharing those kind words.
1: Yeah, they just mean the world to us. So thank you so much. Y'all are the best. Uh, so the next thing that I wanted us to do on this episode is I wanted us to play three of the most beloved tracks that we've played on this podcast now these aren't unequivocally the top three but they represent uh you know really special tracks that have stood the test of time for us yeah I think um, there, there are other ones we could have played there these feel right they're all
0: pieces that either didn't exist or we weren't exposed to before yes. doing the podcast and they're all pieces that we've played many many times some so of we our favorites. have multiple associations with this music. And yeah, I mean, you guys if if you've been with us the entire time, you can probably predict yep, which yep. three pieces these are going to be.
1: The first thing we're going to play is Magical Voice Shower. Let's take a listen. <laughs>
2: that better better
1: Without a doubt, one of the most beloved and exciting tracks that we had discovered through the course of this podcast. It's one of our all time favorite pieces of music by Dreamline Out Magical Voice Shower. And I don't know if we've talked about this before in the podcast, but there's a wonderful, there's multiple wonderful YouTube videos. Um, uh, that the main person behind Dreamline Out is breaking down his music, uh, Magical Voice Shower being one of the tracks, showing kind of the stems, some of the original recording. So if you really like this track, you should check that out on YouTube. And the interesting thing is, like, Dreamline Out and this particular
0: composer, I should really know his name by heart, I feel bad. but One of the Uchis. Yeah, he... he um, He's written many, many songs and a lot of kind of like J-pop songs that Mm -hmm. are incredibly catchy, but there's something, you know, I mean, fittingly (laughs) magical about this particular piece of music. It really, I think it's one of the strongest melodies I've ever heard. Mm -hmm. The other thing that's so impressive to me, it, it captures the spirit of a lot of video game music with its chord structure, the syncopation, the melodic rhythms. But the other thing is like, Game music is all about short loops and repetition. Mm -hmm. And this is an example of a piece of music that is much more rhapsodic. It doesn't loop pretty much the entire time right there's an extended version that's twice the length where the first the half is in, like yeah. yeah without drums but really it's just entirely through composed, except for that yeah that part comes back as sort of like this little refrain but that opening sort of verse melody never returns and all of the great sections that's what's so amazing to me about this piece that well, when you're listening to it it doesn't feel like you're listening to this kind of, you know, rondo-esque through composed. Well, it just... the
1: thing about this track that's crazy is the composition is obviously amazing, but the charm of the performance in the a cappella production where it's it's one person's voice doing percussion sounds, bass sounds, melodies, harmonies, there's such a charm and such a childlike wonder that the the sound of this piece has. And I think that
0: mirrors a lot of what we like about chiptune music. You know, if you think about beatboxing, it's very similar to noise channel drums. It's like you're using another sound effect to imitate and replicate the sound of a real world instrument. Well,
1: all right, let's hear some wagers, everyone listening. What do you think is the second track we're going to move to? It is from Rayman Origins. It is The Lum's Dream composed by Christoph Haral. Here we go. Sea of Serendipity, The Lum's Dream from Rayman Origins. Why do we love
2: this so much, Carl?
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's such a weird, weird piece of music. I think one of the things that was so just moving about it for us is that it was so surprising. Like when we were playing this game, hearing this track, it was such a surprising choice. And it's very silly. And I do think there's a lot of people. I know that there's a lot of people that wouldn't really like this, but... I don't know. It's really hard to explain why it moved us so much. I think a big part of it was how it surprised us. We weren't expecting um, to hear such a beautiful, complex, harmonic piece of music with those silly sounds. You it's know, the contrast and of that. Just hearing you describe that, a beautiful
0: harmonic complex piece of music with silly sounds yeah that's again that's how you could describe so much VGM and I think that's one of the reasons we like it because there's there's something so uh, egoless about writing a really earnest composition Mm -hmm. but using it with such a sense of humor and with such a sense of kind of like, it's okay if the music is the butt of the joke Mm -hmm. and it's okay if you're not presenting it for people to go, Oh, what a gorgeous melody that it's like, it's okay for people to
1: go, Oh, what a weird goofy song. This is actually a really difficult piece to listen to because it's hard to know what you feel. Like there's a lot of mixed emotions with it. Like to me, when I listen to the harmonies, it's just really beautiful and kind of tragic but then the, the actual sounds, you know, the voices that are singing are really goofy. Right. Um, and there's kind of those like silly underwater, you know, blue, 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 kind of sound effects that they're doing. Well, so and I it's think a the other reason why this is so amazing is it's really a payoff.
0: It's like the, the the soundtrack has established that the Lums, which are essentially Rayman Origins version of coins. Right. But they're like these living little orb-like creatures and they sing throughout a lot of the soundtrack. And it's very cute, you know, the sort of, they're speaking nonsense syllables in this sort of Alvin and the Chipmunks pitched up voice style. But so much of the music in this game is very tongue-in-cheek. It is very Mm -hmm. goofy and fun. So there's something... It's this great comedic payoff that you get to this underwater level. And, you know, so much game music has established a very tranquil underwater stage. Um, I mean, we think of, like, David Wise, Donkey Kong Country 1. I mean, that incredible aquatic ambiance piece. And there's countless others that have this tranquil style. And so getting there it's kind of like our guard is so let down right as an audience or as a gamer because we're, we've just been sort of coded into this idea like oh tranquil underwater stage and then when these goofy lums are there now the voices that are yeah. singing this beautiful tune yeah and, so and it was funny i think we were on
1: my couch back in my old apartment playing the game yeah. together all right everyone the third beloved track we're gonna play today let's see if you all can guess it Strike the Earth from Shovel Knight composed by Jay Kaufman here we go Smith banger here. This is "Strike the Earth" from Shovel Knight by Jake Kaufman. I'll never forget recording that episode, hearing that soundtrack for the first time—so so exciting. And then also, it makes me remember of just a few months after we did that episode, getting to briefly meet Jake. Uh, both you and me got to meet Jake very briefly <laughs> in person in Minneapolis, and yeah. he said he was a huge fan of that episode. He had listened to it, and I think he said he showed the whole team. Mm-hmm. They all really enjoyed it, so that was an honor. But yeah, uh, this this track is really one that feels like it's carrying the torch of the 8-bit era while going further, making it even more exciting music than we had really ever heard from that era. So yeah, what a special soundtrack. And really this, if I was going to show someone one Jay Kaufman track, it would probably be this one. Yeah, I mean, Shovel Knight might very well be... Uh one of the
0: best soundtracks that's come mm-hmm. out since doing this podcast I mean I, I should have said that it's like that may have been one of the most exciting episodes recording because I think it was. it was it was just such an inspiring time it was time. so
1: inspiring
0: um, yeah the other interesting thing about Jake is that you know, he's someone who I don't think either of us were familiar with before doing this podcast because neither of us were super into the modern chiptune scene before doing this podcast. Because right. I think a lot of what, well, frankly, I think that scene has gotten a lot stronger oh, um, absolutely. over the years. Yeah, but- the
1: very first, um, I think, example that we heard was, and it might have even been on like the first listener show and tell or something, it was a Mighty Milky Way track. Mm. And remember, we were very praising of it. Um, but I think it was after that that we probably heard DuckTales. One of the Mighty Switch Force yeah, games. Yeah, and then eventually Shantae, Shovel Knight. So, yeah, Shovel I mean, Knight. and guys, there are so many other tracks that we could have uh, played today when we're talking about some of the most beloved that we've ever shared on the podcast. Will was bringing to mind Dark Pit Battle. Uh, so many other amazing tracks. I mean, I remember tracks. the first time we heard Resistance the... and Extermination. I mean, oh, get out of yeah. here.
0: Oh, yeah, the first time we heard the... um. Mario Kart 8 title screen, Absolutely. that was super exciting. I mean, the whole Odyssey soundtrack, Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's so many incredible moments that we've had over the years. Yeah, Shovel Knight, that was, I'll never forget, that was just such a special, exciting soundtrack, and such an exciting game, and it was just this really inspiring time to know that, like, this hit game, it's really popular right now. It, w- it just got rave reviews mm-hmm. and it has this incredible
1: chiptune score that's authentic to the era. And we but- hadn't really had a lot of experience listening to VRC6 music. So it was kind of felt like it was a brand new chip for well, us. Well, and also that he got Minami Matsumai as a collaborator. Yeah. It was like it just
0: made it feel like it had this seal of approval from the golden age, you know?
1: Well, we have a lot of fun segments today. Uh, the next one we're going to move to is a lot of fun. If you guys remember way back in episode 25, the very first guest that we ever had on the podcast was Mr. Grant Kirkhope. Yeah. And we thought it'd be very fitting and full circle if we check back in with Grant today, see what he's been up to, and just have a fun chat. So let's do that. Well,
0: thank you so much for taking the time to do this.
6: Yes. No, it's uh, thanks for asking me, gentlemen.
1: Absolutely.
0: Well, it's interesting. We're recording this for our 500th episode, which is kind of crazy to believe that um, we've done that many. I don't know if it's exciting or just sad, (laughs) um, but you were the very first (laughs) composer that we ever had uh, on our podcast. And I remember, I think it was our 25th episode. And you've always been someone that both of us have looked up to as composers ourselves. Um, and you're responsible for so much of the game music of an entire generation. Uh, so, I mean, once again, I hope all of our listeners will join us in welcoming the legend
1: himself, Mr. Grant Kirkhope.
6: <laughs> I, think, I think legend just means I'm old, right? That's
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, we're all older. Uh, I mean, at least from the first time we talked with you. The very first time you were on our podcast was way back in the summer of 2012. Wow. Which to give you some context, Uh, That was the same year that the original uh, installment of the Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning first came out. Um, So I guess my first question for you, Grant, to get things started here is how has your life and your career changed since that time?
6: Um, A lot, I think. I guess, you know, I was only just starting out to be freelance in 2012, really. So, you know, I had no idea if I was going to make it or not. It was just like, let's give it a go, you know. So, um,
1: it turns out you didn't because you work at Walmart now, so that's okay. the first thing we should mention. <laughs> that's
6: right, yeah, I know. I've, I'm, I'm <laughs> probably injured now, I've got my sling on. Oh. So, um, so you know, from overwork at Walmart, stuck in the shelves, you <laughs> yeah, know,
1: exactly.
6: <laughs> um, I know, so I, I I, know, I didn't know. I remember actually, I think it was 2012 when there was a thing at the Washington Museum or something that Austin Wintry was doing some kind of talk at, and I went like I went to I, went to, I met him before, so I thought I'd go meet him for the first time. And I remember saying to me, yeah, "I'm trying to come to LA and freelance." And I could, his face sort of went. I could see he was thinking, "It's not going to work," <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know. And I could tell him, he was thinking to himself, "Yeah, lots of composers do that. It's not that easy." And I was thinking, "Oh, it's going to be easy, it's super easy." Um, he didn't mean it disrespectfully. I just think he, th- he just, it was just like, you know, it's very hard, you know. And also, yeah. he sort of said to me, "Usually, composers that have had a career as a staff composer can't move to the freelance thing. that just doesn't work. Most people don't don't make doesn't don't manage it so much, you know." So. Right. I think I was just super lucky. Like when I chose to do that, I had a friend working at Sega Australia, uh, Jeremy Taylor, who was a, a guy I knew from Harrogate in, in North Yorkshire. I lived in England. And um, he was a um, video games composer and sign designer. He was working at, at Sega Australia and they were doing that Mickey's Cast of Illusion on this. Right. On the, and so that was the kind of first thing that kicked me off, like doing this freelance thing. And then very quickly, uh, near, near that, I got the uh, Civilization Beyond Earth. And so I got those thing, kind of two things together, so it kind of got me going quite quickly. But I think I was just being, I was just lucky, really. I think I think, I think it, could, it could easily have gone the other way and been a disaster.
1: <laughs> Will, how many times have we interviewed humble composers where they 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 chalk it up to luck?
6: <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: luck I and some talent whether it's too. good
0: fortune or talent. I mean, I think probably for anyone who finds success in this field, it has to be a mixture of both. Because obviously, you need the opportunity, but then when you get the opportunity you know, you have to deliver. And that's something right. that you've continued to do time and time again. You know, it's it's interesting. Since the last time we've spoken, it just seems like your career has reached this new apex, both in the world of video games. I mean, we have to talk about the Mario and Rabbids Kingdom battle. And there, I know there's another sequel coming out very soon, yes. which I'm so excited for. But that first soundtrack, I mean, how exciting was it to work on a Mario title? I mean, it was
1: exciting I mean, the, for the, us the, to the hear The score hear it. <laughs> And be like, oh my God, Grant gets to do this.
6: No, that was one of those, you know, things where you have to kind of pinch yourself and say, is it really happening, you know? Because um, it was sort of equal parts scary, equal parts exciting. You know, you know I've told the story many times, but why you know, when, he was so first contact, it was it was Jean uh, Marco Zanna, who's a producer in in, in South Milan, and just sort of contacted contact me on LinkedIn. I mean, you know, I've never got any work from LinkedIn apart from this one job. I mean, you know, <laughs> and he just sort of said, we've got a, a game we think you might be good for, are you interested? And I was like, of course, you know. And when we finally got to the, kind of, got to the NDA part, so it's called, it's called Rabbids Kingdom Battle. And I thought, oh, it would be a fun rabbits game. And, you know, and I like the rabbits because my kids like the cartoons and like the characters. And I kind of thought they were—they really sort of predated the minions. I think they are—they are the minions, but before the minions yeah. were minions, they're, they're really crazy. They break everything, you know. So I thought it was super fun. So when I finally got to fly across, met me in Paris, and David and uh, Soliani, the creative director, flew across from Milan with, with uh, and met in Paris with Roman Brio, who's the Audi director. You know, and they led me through the back of the studio and got to the big door with the security. I was like, it's a bit heavy security for a rab- for a rabbits game, you know, and <laughs> led me through to the back, that part and then to a, to a side room where Davide and Ramar were waiting for me and uh you know and david talks and i would better show you the game you know because i had no idea what it was about you know i said yeah that'd be great so when he turned the tv on of course mario stood there oh no <laughs> and i was like oh perhaps i've been playing Ma- I, I, you know i just thought they've been playing mario because of a board waiting for me to get to the studio you know um and we started to move the mario around so i was like what's this it's a, it's a mario again. did no one tell you that i was like oh uh, no.
1: butterflies right I know, I'm, so I'm imagining just about had a, butterflies yeah it's about had a
6: heart attack at that point um and they they both said that for the first hour I sat there sort of pretty pale face. that we thought he didn't like the game I was just so scared thinking <laughs> how am I gonna how on earth am I gonna write music for Mario again when when Koji Kondo is you know the Jedi Master I'm just a mere Padawan compared to him you know like how on earth am I gonna do this without ruining it for everybody? But
1: you didn't even try to like ape Koji's style at all like you were that soundtrack is so confident and so 100% Grant that that that's one of the most beautiful things about it i
6: think yeah i, I really felt like I, I, there was no point in me try to do the what what nintendo that nintendo's poppy jazzy style that they do that brilliantly and i just can't write like that i'm hopeless at jazz and any kind of poppy <laughs> jazz would be even worse so i just kind of thought i've got i've got to try and mix a bit of me with the rabbits with mario and so it's a bit crazy it's a bit me it's a bit you know so you know i did my best you know you never you never really know until people listen to it if it's if it succeeded or not and davide and Ramar seemed pretty happy at the time, but, you know, it was one of those things where, you know, I didn't know if I could do it or not.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I think the way that it turned out was kind of everything that I think we could have hoped for. It had a lot of your, um, sort of the staple of your style, which is that mixture of sort of the old, almost kind of like a vaudeville or music house sort of tradition, like the, mm 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 that kind of incessant, Energy, but with the the deviousness and your harmonic language. I mean, the chords you choose yeah. are so fantastic. It's like that sort of harmonic language you either only find in film music or uh, I really that I can't think of anything other than games and film music that have the kinds of chord progressions that you tend to use.
6: I really, I really try to do that. I think, like I, you know, I love movie soundtracks, you know, and so I really try to why can't a video game sound like that um so i do try to i don't think i pick like one think about my, my harmonic style right like i do try to pick the odd chords I, I, that's what I, that's what it feels like in my head it might not actually sound like that to anybody else but to me i'm trying to pick the odd chords all the time things are a little bit out of the ordinary right um and, and so sometimes the harmony can be quite jarring but i think if you get if the melody smooth over the top of it you don't yeah. notice the jarring harmony so i feel i feel like in the banjo games i think i kind of Sussed that out back then that you can have chords that are quite unrelated, um, but as long as the melody's smooth over the top, unless you're a composer like you guys, the average <laughs> listener is not, it's just going just to notice, you know, that it feels a bit weird, but they don't know why, you know, and it, but it's still it's still whistleable, you know, kind of thing, still hummable.
1: Well, yeah, and I think that is one of the elements of your unmistakable sound. And I'm glad that you're talking about that. I mean, you definitely, you admit you have an unmistakable sound like a lot of composers do. I'm actually curious, what types of projects do you find more enjoyable and satisfying? One where you're able to just turn off your brain and just go, you know, full-blown Kirkopian music, (laughs) or one where you're maybe pushed in some new directions, maybe some challenging directions that are outside of your comfort zone?
6: I, I do like getting pushed and challenged. I think it's easy for me to put on my, my slippers and just, you know, slip into Grant Kirkhope, you know. <laughs> and I think that um, that's like, um, it's all right, but I feel like I, it's, it's, it, I can do that. And it's, it's, it feels like I shouldn't be doing that in some respects. Mm. Like I feel like I should, like, I, like working on Mario Sparks of Hopes right now, you know, Davide Soliani is sort of saying it, it can't be like Mario Rabbits, It has to be a bit different to it. There's something different that we have to try and bring something new to the new game. So That's I think really right, cool to hear. Yeah, I think right across the board, I think with um the graphics, the whole thing, it's almost like a revamp, really. Not a revamp, but it's sort of like a reimagining sort of thing.
1: Yeah. Um
6: and so I am getting pushed more. Davide is getting definitely getting more picky about the music. Um <laughs> you know, I mean Davide are great friends and Ramar as well, the the audio director, Romar Brio. Um and I mean, you know, I feel between the three of us, we've kind of come up with this whether it sounds new to you guys, I don't know, but I really feel like I've done stuff in the music so far that I haven't done before. That's exciting. Davide is very keen to get me to do, I guess, more filmic in some respects, Mm -hmm. but not the kind of more on the John Williams side. Right. Rather than say the Hans Zimmer side. Sure. And which is also really good. And it just, I think Davide falls on that side more. Some more complex, you know, so you can't just have the melody going on a set of chords. You have to have the melody going with a counter woodwind's going on and something else going on and the strings and like so everything's playing differently and entry, you know, that kind of that kind of complex orchestration that John Williams does. I'm that I can do it anywhere near as good as John Williams, but I try my best, you know. But I mean, definitely I feel like it's the stuff I've written so far is definitely in that vein of trying to make it a bit different to the to the last because it would be really easy just to meet people to do Kings of Battle again. It would be, be mm-hmm. easy to do that. And, but, you know, what's a point of doing that? There's no point in doing that. So it's still it's still going to have, you know, touch points. You're going to hear stuff like that. It's still going to be me, but I feel like I've done a bit more. So, you know, I am still try to get better as a composer. You know, I still feel like I've got a lot to learn. So I'm trying to push myself to be better every time. I mean, I don't always get there, but, you know, I'm trying. And also, like, getting asked to do something like Minecraft Dungeons was very different for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was quite flattered that those guys asked me to do that. I'm not really known for that kind of music, uh, you know. So, but they were just we think it's going to be great. So you know, I worked, worked well with Peter Hunt, who was the kind of the audio director there at Mojang, and Samuel Aberg, who's the the, uh, the I think he's the audio director. I think Peter Hunt's a composer. Okay. Yeah, he's, so you know, and they and they guided me quite a bit, you know, to try and get how like they wanted to sound. But it was nice to get asked to do that kind of music. You know.
0: Well, you know, since we've spoken, uh, in addition to some of these incredible game projects that you've mentioned. You've also uh, done a high volume of film work, both you know short films and uh, some upcoming features that One I'm very excited soon. to talk to you about. Um, I know that's something when we first spoke. You know, I remember you talking about wanting to get more into movies, and that was right around that time when you had moved to Los Angeles. Uh, I'm just curious, can you share a little bit of your experience the last few years, um, sort of highs and lows, and what aspects from composing for games were you able to translate into that scoring-to-picture medium?
6: Well, you know, we all all do cinematic sequences, writing video games, right? So that's that's the same, that's composing-to-pictures, isn't it? It's linear. It's the same as that. So, you know, Mm. a lot of games composers spend hours, you know, doing cutscenes in games. Um, you know, so I guess that's a skill, but I guess you've got to learn to get around the dialogue part, right? So, you know, there's not a lot of point in writing off something exciting when people are talking so you're never going to hear it. So you just learn that when they're, when they're talking, don't do that. Right. You know, keep it quiet. And then when in, in between the dialogue, you can do something else? So I've done, um, one called shadows, which is coming out early next year. I've done one called the handler, which is already out on all the streaming services, which is kind of an actiony eighties, nineties, sort of, you know, thing um so it's quite fun doing that but also that the king's daughter which is the one that I did about four years ago with pierce brosnan and william hurt and Scott scoladario and so it's actually coming out in january would you believe it in theaters so that's actually going to be in theaters Amazing. so that's quite exciting i did oh, it with two great. of the composers uh, John john and john McCarthy. all did a bit each uh, and so you know that's that's pretty exciting and i, I, I kind of got he got divided up between the three of us. I got some of the big sequences, I think, you know, some of the kind of big bit at the start, big bit at the end, you know, some bits in the middle. So, um, that's gonna be cool to have actually have a movie in the theaters. So that's gonna be for me, it's gonna be a first, you know.
1: Are you gonna go with your family to see it?
6: Oh, yeah, for definitely. I, think, I mean, it could have been a thousand theaters. I don't know if that's big or small, I've no idea. So, um, if it'll be in LA, I'll go and see it. I'll imagine it'd be in LA. I would think they'd do it here somewhere. Awesome.
0: The other thing that I love about you working on film and contemporary games is that there are a lot of people now working in games who don't really have any relationship or connection to you know the 80s 90s early 2000s era of scoring for games where the technology was such a limitation and very clearly influenced the composition and that melodic style was the status quo now that's that's not as clearly the case. But what I love is someone like you who has an experience in and a reverence for not only the era that you worked in, you know, on the Nintendo 64, but composers like Koji Kondo and many others before who kind of established those traditions is you can reconcile that tradition with the more contemporary or the more like Western filmic approach.
6: I really do try to do that, right? I really feel like I need... I've really tried to take on the complex orchestration that that, that 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 comes from that kind of era, but drag it up to the time we're in now. Right? I still feel like it's relevant. And I still feel like it's doable. Like you say, it's not easy, right? I think some people don't can they can write they can get the orchestra to sound like a big electric guitar. You know, it's like it's a big tune and a, a set of chords, but nothing else much is going on. I like to I like to try and music where there's something going on in the, in the other sections while that's going on. So, you know, you get to have a bit of. Interest in it when it goes da, 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 and you got the long note in the tune, whatever it is. You got something else going mm-hmm. going on in the woodwinds or, or or the strings when you got the long note. And then when that long note stops, when you get to the next part of the melody, that stop that lock backs off, and you hear the. Tune. You know, I like to interchange, and I like to try and do that kind of thing. And that and that really stems from. I remember when you know we talked about this before when I was doing King's of law mm-hmm. like I hadn't done anything that big prior to that point, and I really thought it was time for me to look to try and do something that I couldn't do before. And so I really tried super hard on those big boss pieces to try and do what John Williams does, you know, or to try and have an attempt at it, I should say. Are
2: are you
0: friends with Joe Kramer? Yes, I am.
6: Yes. I like, yeah, we're good friends. Yeah.
0: I know that's something he talks about a lot that he gets frustrated with contemporary film music is that even if there's a strong melody, which I mean, is rare enough as it is that often that counterpoint is the piece that's missing. That people know how to write block chords or they know how to write a repeated ostinato that never changes. That's essentially the equivalent of like the old Casio hold down a key. Uh, But when you look at, you know, John Williams writing or Jerry Goldsmith or Elmer Bernstein or anybody, any of the old greats, you know, there's so much intricacy. And like you said, that, you know, when the, the melody reaches this point of repose, then the other instruments can sort of take over and
1: man aren't we picky it's not enough to have a tune you have to have your cake and eat it too apparently
6: yeah no i, I mean me and joe we, we have we have up, up until covid we have these kind of monthly dinner lunches we've meet in calabasas and we just sit and put the world to right you know while eating lunch you know and we, i <laughs> i think me and joe are really on the same wave. And i like joe a lot he's a really nice guy we're, we're getting really well um and he's a good he's a big gamer too i think we do both feel exactly the same way about that and you know there's that thing on in the, this, the in internet on the YouTube, it compares the Harry Potter scores as, as they go along. And of course, the first three are John Williams, right? But as slow as it goes along, they become less intricate as they get towards the end. So it's all that kind of elaborateness that happens in Diagon Alley and all that, all that, all the fantastic, you know, luscious harmony that John Williams does, it just dies out as it switches composer until it finally gets mm-hmm. to nothing at all, you know. Uh, and it's it's such a sad thing because I think that, you know, it, that, that music that John Williams wrote gave Harry Potter its absolute signature. Like it, gave it that kookiness, that, that witchiness, you know, like that magical stuff. It's all in there. It just dies out when he left the franchise, you know? Um, so I really feel like people think what's old-fashioned. It's not entirely possible to bring those techniques up to date and still make it sound fresh. It's completely possible. It's just hard.
1: It's very hard. It, that's what yeah. people don't want to do it, I guess. It would be fascinating, Grant, if if you had an opportunity to work for a big Movie, and you ended up just not liking the experience.
6: I know. I've often wondered that if you get a, a super, you know, a director who doesn't like that, you know. Mm-hmm. But my thing was, I needed to meet a young director who knew a bit about my history, who would give me a shot, right? So I bumped into this guy, Michael Matteo Rossi, who's a guy, a 30 year old, something, say something, a guy in, Los Angeles, in LA. He's, you know, he's a, he does he, he makes indie movies he does a good job. I, I, I Shadows are done with him. I've done the handler with him. I'm going to do the next one. I think it's called the Sweepers. So awesome. he's that guy, you know, who's uh, he's up and coming. He, he gets movies made. Just getting a movie made is hard. Never mind if it's any good right. or not. You know. So I really feel like I me, mean, might get on great. I, he's a good guy. I, mean, I think we hit it off really well. So I'm hoping that you know, he could be my Steven Spielberg. I don't you know I don't <laughs> know, but, but you know what I mean. I feel like because I feel like kind of cold pitching for movies is super hard. Because getting through that noise, I think it's, it's just practically impossible. I mean, you know, it's like it seems to be so ridiculously hard. I really feel the only way you're going to get a massive movie is if you happen to know the director or, or you know, the producer. Like, if that it, it is that, it, I think pitching for it is a waste of time. Even though I do it, I think you just, you're just you never <laughs> going to get through that noise. I think you'd have to know you bump into the director in Starbucks or a chance meeting, that's about it. And that is like one in a million, Right. Right. It's not like a, I, I think I just feel like I want to do from mobile phones to movies, right? I like doing everything. You know? I it. Like I, I like all of that stuff. So, so I'm just trying to add another string to the bow, that, so I can do mobile phones and get video games, and what, I, I don't care about anything else and movies or whatever.
1: And put out remix albums of your old scores. You know, of course, no. anything goes. Apparently no, now. No, that
6: that 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 was like pulling teeth. That was doing. That it took me ages to do that. Like I absolutely hate remixing my own stuff. That's why I haven't done it before. I just, I just don't find it very enjoyable. I like it when I finish it, and I like the, the the thing but when I'm doing it, it's like, oh
1: god. You should next time collaborate with someone to do the grunt work part of it, and you just do the fun parts of it. You just lay down some guitar, you know. Well,
6: I'm thinking this. I'm, th- I am. I, I, even though I said I'd never do it again, I think I might do it again. So I'm thinking about doing. Um, I might do like a lot of greatest hits rather than pick one game. Pick That's tunes, lots idea. of games, lots of my, lots of my games, and try and maybe do that. So it'd be a bit more fun to do it, and work, yeah. Pick ten tunes that I like from all the games that I've worked on, and see if I can redo them again. You know, but it. I mean, it was well received. Everyone liked it, so I was happy about that. Um, it was just, it was bloody hard work that was. It took me forever.
1: I totally understand that. So, Grant, at time of recording, we're at the new year. We're about to face 2022. What are some of your hopes? and what, what you're looking forward to most uh, in wishes for 2022 before we let you go here.
6: So I want to get Sparks of Hope out there and done. Um, that's the map, I, you know, in honesty, I've not done that much work on it yet. It's going to be a, all, the, the, all of it's going to be in the back end next year. So I feel like I've got a lot of work to do on that coming up. Um, you know, so that's going to be a big thing. King's Daughter's coming out in January. I'd like to get some more film work. I think that's what I'd like to try and do. I guess more games to work. I'm have to get some more work, in, no matter what it is, really, I've got to keep the book <laughs> from the door, you know. Um, so yeah, I just hope it's another good year. Maybe working a franchise I haven't worked on before, mm. uh, whatever that could be, I don't know. But that would be nice to do one of those something else different, you know, that I've not done before. But you know, I've got to say, you know, after working at Rare all those years, I, it was a really special time for me. That was. I was lucky to be there in that kind of golden time of Rare. And I really thought, like, I've been working with the banjo team and Greg males and all, the, all my... Ed Brian and Steve males and all the guys on the team, Chris and that, that we're still friends to this day, you know. I really thought I'd never get that again. I think I thought, you know, no matter what I do, I'm never going to find that again if with anybody. Um, but I've got to say, working with Darius Soliani and Roman Brio and the guys at Milan, you know, on Ubisoft and Paris, it's been really special. Like, they really are hugely passionate about making games. Right. You know, they're just... You know, they're like me, they were so... Honored to be to get given Mario to play with that everybody just put their heart and soul into that game, and I think it really reflected in the game. I mean, that is the biggest game I've ever worked on, sales wise, in my life. That it's it's sold golden right now, so so that is my biggest game I've ever worked on. Who'd have thought it 20 years later, whatever it is? You know, I thought I'd been, i had been going down by now, by, by a long way, you know, so so I've been quite lucky. So, yeah, I guess that's my 2022.
1: That's perfect, and in some ways, sparks of hope. Let's hope that's. Let's hope that's the theme of 2022 forever. Yeah, let's hope it.
0: Well, and I think that's the perfect sentiment to end here, um, our conversation, because you are someone who does spark that sort of passion in uh, people. I mean, people love your music. It
1: makes them happy, Grant. <laughs>
0: uh, and I, I'm just, yeah, I'm so glad there are more games in that series. I'm so glad that you're the composer. It is it it's one of those things where when you can get frustrated about all the the unfairness in the world and all the things going on, it's like great to know, ah, Grand Kirkhope's working on a Mario <laughs> game. There's still
1: hope. <laughs> there is still a spark of hope.
6: No, no. You know, honestly, hand on heart, I still find it bewildering that people still want to know what I'm up to, that people are still interest in what I do. I mean, really, you know, I've been doing it a long time now, 20 or seven years, whatever it is. And, you know, it's, it's not lost on me that there's a gazillion brilliant composers out there much better than i am you know so it's amazing that people still care what i do <laughs> i think that's just you know I, it's I, it's massively humbling massively heartwarming it's just brilliant
1: well it's it's heartwarming and brilliant that you took the time to talk with us again today so <laughs> we wish you all the best in the new year and you kirk hopes stay healthy now okay yes Take maybe, maybe i'll yourself, talk, to you, so. talk to
6: you in another 500 episodes time right there we go. <laughs> if, I, if, I, if I'm still alive, I might be alive. By yes, if
7: we
1: actually. all are. Yes, absolutely.
0: <laughs> and I'm actually moving to Los Angeles uh, in wow. May. So maybe I'll run into you at a coffee yeah. shop or something. Yeah,
6: definitely. You should give me a shout. I'll buy you a coffee. How about that? <laughs> there we go. <laughs> <laughs>
0: if the world is, if you know, if we're allowed to leave our homes at that time, we'll see
1: what happens. All right. Well, happy holidays, Grant Kirkhope. You too. Anytime,
6: gentlemen. Thanks for asking me.
1: Thanks so much, Grant. Ah, delightful as always he's just the best he really is well let's move on to a game this is called guess the episode number each of us uh, are gonna give a topic to the other person and we're gonna see if we can get close to what the episode number is and we'll keep score we'll see who wins uh, alright I'm gonna give three to Will are you ready Will? yeah guess the episode number starting off with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles I remember where I
0: was when we recorded this episode. So I'm going to say 320. 331.
1: That's pretty damn close. Very I say. good. So that was 11. 11 off. All right. Are you ready for the second one? Yeah, let's do it. Super Mario 3D World. I also remember doing that
0: one. So that game came out in. 2013, I want to say, and let's see, that was before we had done our episode 200, but I think after episode 100, that would be my guess. So I'm gonna say 150,
1: 107. Wow. Now I'm bad at math, so I gotta I gotta double check these scores here with my calculator. Why did I say 50? We wouldn't have had it be a on 50, because. Forty-three. That's a little more of a rough, a rough round there for you. You ready for the the third one, Will? Yeah, let's do it. Kazumi Tataka.
0: Mm, that was definitely a Nintendo Month one, and I feel like it was only a couple years ago. Um, it's so hard to remember. It's all a blur, folks. You know, and I th- I think I remember our episode 400 was around the time of that uh, Rise of Skywalker came out, so it was in the winter, so Nintendo Month would have been just... I'm going to go 390. 191. Wait, really? Craziness. Craziness. Wow. Craziness. Wait, we did Kazumi Tataka that early? I
1: thought I have a memory of doing that it's just crazy. a couple years ago. Unfortunately... <laughs> I don't know. Maybe maybe you'll still win because that's that's 199 off. Let's see. Let's see. All right. So, Will, you have to give me now three episode names and we'll see how I do. Okay. I want you to guess which
0: number was the Super Mario Brothers trilogy
1: episode that we did with Marty. Oh, that is hard. For some reason, I want to say in the 100s, Let's say 164. Let's take a look.
0: We're consulting the judges. Panelists, are your answers in? 243. Okay, I might still have a chance. So what did
1: I say? I think you said like 160 something. Yeah, I think I said 164. By the way, So I'm 79 off on that one. All right, Will, number two. Um... Ooh, okay, I've got one. Ocarina of Time. Okay, very early on. I'm going to say... 52. I think that's a good guess. 55.
0: Ooh, only three. That's going to
1: really help my score. All right, well, one more. Princess Connect, Volume 2. Oh, my gosh um see that's that's a trip princess connect it was very very recent probably in the 400s i would say so i would say princess connect volume two was um 422 let's take a look judges 420 dang wow i gotta say i'm pretty impressed by that so we have 79 84 Four twenty was in our
0: ganja episode. Ganja games music.
1: Eighty four was my total. Will's total is two hundred and fifty three. This is basically like golf. So well, I. Oh my score is higher, <laughs> so I think I win. Yeah, it's like it's just all it's just all blur, everyone. Well, let's move on to a fun segment that is brought to us by our good friends, Matthew and Carlos. Uh, I asked them if they had any ideas for a segment for our episode 500 that had anything to do with VGM, and they were happy to oblige. So let's go to their segment now.
5: Hello, Marcado fam. This is Carlos, and I am here to help celebrate this 500th episode and uh, I, it's crazy to think about it, but wow, so much content. <laughs> but um, I'm very honored. It's, uh, it's, it's me and it's Matthew. Matthew, how are you doing? Hi.
2: I am doing well. Um, it's, yeah, it's uh, the Mercado Bros asked us or asked us kind of individually about adding like a little segment here to kind of share what we love about video game music and uh, I was kind of telling Carlos what my idea was, and it was Street Fighter 2 related. So I was like, well, why don't we just do it together? Hello, so.
5: right, Street Fighter 2, so, a yeah. uh, great way for us to celebrate video game music. Um, mm-hmm. Also, a kind of a controversial subject for video game music fans, I would say. So uh, you, you did a little bit of homework and... Uh, this idea is kind of fun, so uh, I thought, yeah, let's just go for it. So we're actually going to be covering different versions of Ken's theme real quick for mm. you guys, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, because my uh, this is kind of a, a script that I had written up a little bit ago, and then I had gotten you to proofread before, and now I guess we're just kind of doing it for everyone. But yeah, I um, I love looking at like all the different weirdo versions of of. Music, especially in like the earlier days of video games um and street fighter 2 had like eight million different versions uh both official and unofficial and it was back in the day where all of those different computers they were on had different capabilities so we wanted to look at some of the official different ones from the originals and then like the 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 super Street Fighter 2 with you know has the upgraded abilities and then look at some of the weirdo kind of uh <laughs> you know unofficial ones.
5: Fun stuff. Let's dig in.
2: So, well first is the CPS1 version. Um and, and for each of these we'll just play like a little bit because we don't want to be all day because this is kind of just doing a Marcado Brothers episode in the <laughs> middle of a Arm Marcado Brothers episode. But. <laughs> yeah, perfect. But, yeah but the first one is from the CPS one which is like the original computer that the first Street Fighter II Uh, version was on so this is kin stage from that I should have mentioned, these were all originally composed by uh, Yoko Shimomura for the, for the original version, and then different composers came in for the other future themes and stuff, but all this original one was written by her. Yeah, so.
5: and this is the YM-2151 I believe, this Capcom place system. So one. that sounds right. Yeah, no, I, 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 I'm willing to bet my life on that. <laughs> Alright. <laughs> but you gotta love it, man. You gotta love that mm-hmm. FM synthesis and this is like yeah. the foundation of that.
2: Yeah, I love the way that the bass sounds on that card, like that or that chip, like that that meow 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 meow, kind of kind of stuff. That's good.
5: Uh, The lead the lead synth of it too sounds really. It's got like a sweetness to it almost that I really Mm -hmm. enjoy.
2: So the next one is the the kind of upgraded version Super Street Fighter Two Turbo or Super Street Fighter Two, and then the the one that everyone knows now is Super Street Fighter Two Turbo. Yeah, my Um, favorite. But, uh, but that was on the CPS-2, which is like the, the, another a new board, like a new computer, essentially, that it was on. Yeah. Um, and it came with better uh, sounds and better, you know, samples and things like that. And uh, when, did, when was the, that introduced? It was like 93, 94? I'm thinking 93, yeah. Okay. So, but this is Ken's theme from that.
5: Okay, CPS-2, you're hearing a bit of a fuller sound, right? You got the chugging yeah. guitars, you got more of a, it still sounds pretty sweet to me, but kind of like a, a little bit of a fuller lead melody line here. And uh, I've heard this track a million times, and I, I still love it.
2: <laughs> yeah. No, and it's it's cool that you can hear, like, in the CPS-1, everything is very much synthesized. And in this one you can hear kind of some of the kind of like more sampled instruments. Yeah. With like, especially with the guitar and and everything. Yeah. And as a, I really love the, the quality of like whenever you can tell it's a sample that's like very clearly shifted up or down (laughs) and it kind of has a cool unique sound to it
5: yeah yeah i i i believe the cps 2 one of the main reasons they created the new board besides a fuller kind of set and a kind of expanded memory was actually to fight piracy because uh when street fighter 2 became really popular um people started doing hacks of it and you, they were losing money because people weren't <laughs> buying the boards from them, so they wanted to make a new system to play it on, so people had to buy it. A little bit of trivia there.
2: Another uh, really interesting version of it that I want to get to before we get to the weirdo ones is for the uh, usually you see it credited as the 3DO, but there is basically just like a Redbook audio CD version of the for first Street, Super Street Fighter 2 And anything that used like a CD would use these versions of the tracks. So we're going to take a listen to that one. Early '90s cheese. <laughs> yeah, I live in this is, man. It is. It is like. It, it, I feel like every, especially in, especially in Japan and and uh and and in China, we see that in a few of our the Hong Kong movies we talk about on mm-hmm. Heroes Three. Um, but that there's like super like, crisp like, smiling kind of instruments <laughs> that are that are in it. Um, and that those ah oh, those those orchestra hits ah.
5: And here we are again, these are, uh, you can hear like guitar, like kind of sample sounds going off, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, it's a really good time. I'm a sucker for cheese, and uh, this hits <laughs> me right in the feels, so I- I'm still a fan. I- sometimes you think about when they transition over to CD audio, and uh, some of the arrangements really don't give the promise of what you expect from the original ones. I think with mm. this case, I- I- I'm cool with it, I like it a
2: lot. Yeah, all the that's that's another episode, but all of the uh, all of the different tracks are kind of varying, and some some make the transition better than others. But yeah. I think this one does good. Mm-hmm. So. so now, oh now time for some some weird ones. <laughs> so um, the uh, uh, the first one that I and actually was kind of inspiration for me even write this script is for the Amiga, which was a wildly underpowered computer compared to most things from the early nineties. Um, but it was huge in Europe, so there was a ton of amigas floating around and people wanted to play Street Fighter II at home. So <laughs> so I found this version, the Amiga version of Street Fighter II, was uh only came out in Europe, but ironically was made by a company called US Gold that was based in oh, yeah. England. Yep. Um and uh this is the version of Kin's theme from that. <laughs> yeah. That, that, you know, it's trying its best.
5: <laughs> I think we stuck a little bit of a bad music episode in the middle of our little segment, Matthew. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Look, you know, I'm, I'm sure they were, they were worth what they had, so... <laughs> well,
5: what I can say is that I, I don't think I ever want to play Street Fighter Two with less than six buttons, and um, yeah. I think this music is playing with less than six buttons right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: definitely. <laughs> Speaking of less than six buttons, uh, the next weirder version... Um, That's actually a kind of great version um, is from the Game Boy, um, and we we tried to find any information about who actually made this port, and it was very hard to find. Yeah, Uh, but this is Kin's theme for the Game Boy.
5: Yeah, simplified but excellent version of this theme. You get yeah. Everything this version kind of rules. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm super <laughs> into it, and uh, I do remember seeing screenshots. And this game, I mean, it was widely released, but uh, yeah, I still don't. <laughs> imagine it was too fun. I did play like Mortal Kombat when I was a kid on the Game Boy and that was a (laughs) terrifying experience but the music really (laughs) delivers so I I I like this this is cool.
2: Yeah it's it's neat how it shows just how strong those themes are that whenever you're it's stripped down yeah it still sounds that good. Hats off to whoever arranged this for the Game Boy. So for this last version, this isn't actually one that was from a game, but uh, Carlos introduced me to this this really incredible oh, uh, soundtrack or, or CD, I guess. I'd, I'd like you to introduce this one.
5: Yeah, so way back uh, around the same time of like a Super Turbo, Super Street Fighter, Capcom released an album called Nesho Street Fighter 2. And this is an album full of vocal versions of Street Fighter 2 tracks and it's uh, incredibly varying in quality but I do enjoy Ken's theme and one of the kind of fun tidbits for me is that it's sung by uh, Hironobu Kageyama who is actually the the same man that sings so many anime songs but um, yeah. more notably he sings a theme song from Dragon Ball and um, yeah, yeah it's, it's really great and uh, I have a great great time with it so here we go (laughs) yes
2: here we go Yeah this is the this is the vocal version and the the actual name of it on the on the album is uh, Crimson Fist Burning Blood. Yeah, Kurenai no Ken is the name of the yeah. song, which is kind of a fun play on
5: Ken's yeah, play name. On Ken. <laughs> yeah. yeah so. some of the cheesy stuff that I really
2: like Oh, yeah. I kind of <laughs> like this this kind of cheese more than the more than the the CD the the 3do1 definitely agree and I can I can feel like you know those people were actually like in a studio making this you know yeah, yeah so.
5: totally totally yeah oh, so okay. here we are a little bit of a celebration of Street Fighter 2 a little bit of celebration of video game music and yeah. this is why we're here guys uh 500 mm-hmm. episodes of the marcado yeah. Bros and even even the mercado Bros have addressed this Carl has his own street fighter 2 ultimate edition that he used different sound chips and made his own definitive version of the soundtrack so um we're also celebrating these guys in a way so mm-hmm. really honestly like th- thank you for doing this for so long and thanks for building a community where people like me and matthew i mean we all love the same things and we found each other through this passion and here we are making fun content like this yeah it's so yeah. fun I'm, yeah, I'm, honestly, yeah, I- I'm honestly, 500 yeah I'm honestly kind of nerding out because I was a big fan of Matthews and I'm getting to do this with Matthew right now <laughs> so Matthew this is like very oh, fun yeah. for me too thank you no, for it's this. funny I
2: always always joke that Carlos was my one fan so it's nice that
5: I'm <laughs> that your fan I still am your fan, fan.
2: Yeah, well, thanks. <laughs> yeah congrats on 500 episodes that's that's wild. So here's the the 500 more, I guess. (laughs) Yes,
5: (laughs) cheers to 500 more. Take a little break, figure out what's going on, and we'll be excited to see what's
1: next. (laughs) So fun. Thank you very much, guys. Yeah, thanks, Matthew and Carlos. That was awesome. All right, let's move on to two more podcast-related questions. Uh, After that, uh, we're going to do a fun full circle moment for everyone. All right, what has been the biggest challenge of doing this podcast for 10 years?
0: That's a good question. I think the biggest challenge is the consistency of it, the not having a break aspect of it. And I think scheduling, you know, as our lives yep. get increasingly complex, having to find different times. Like there was a period of time when I was in college where we were recording super early in the mornings because mm-hmm. that was the only time yep. that both of us could make it work.
1: Yeah, it. it the podcast feels different if you recorded on a Wednesday at nine thirty a.m. versus a set, you know, a Friday at seven p.m. Right. I mean, there's just such a different energy to it all. Um, yeah, it's scheduling. Finding time to have it fit into your life and to all the other things that you have to do. Um, I mean, I know for me, it, it, it would probably just be finding the time for editing. Right. Uh, and, and like at the end of the weekend when you're tired and when you kind of just want to relax, it, it can kind of feel like there's something looming over you. I also um, think technical issues like dealing with, um, you know, web
0: designers yeah. and dealing with, Problems with the, um, you know, archive.org where we host right. all of the files and. The, there's always some I mean anything that is tech involved you're going to have countless issues I would say issues. yeah
1: like over, uh, from a broad point of view the longer we had done the show and the more consistent we were we developed this expectation that we're not going to miss a week and that was a lot of pressure because mm-hmm. I mean there would be times when I think a lot of other people would have just said oh it's okay we'll just hey everyone this episode will be out next week you know and that would be fine or we'll release it on Tuesday but for Tuesday. some silly reason we just held ourselves to this, this different standard and so I think that but I, at
0: the, at the same time I think if I were giving advice to someone starting a podcast I think the advice that I would give is do something that you can consistently yeah. release because I think the reason we've been able to build Uh, A a listenership is because of that consistency. consistency. I totally agree. Um, Where it's like, if if you have a really ambitious goal to do something that's highly well produced, I mean, this is something Marty and I ran into on Underscore, which is like, it's just, you kind of burn out and it's impossible Mm -hmm. to sustain that consistently. And even if the quality is really high, it's like, part of you need to have that weekly drip, 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 drip to get people coming back to so that it's always there. You know, and if you, there are so many podcasts that I've personally loved to listen to over the years and they have long periods of time where they aren't releasing episodes. And then if they eventually come back, you know, you've sort of fallen off the map with them.
1: Yeah, it's true. I mean, it only takes a few weeks to move on to something else. And before you know it, you have different routines. Last question is, What was the biggest surprise to have happened during the course of the Super Mercado Pros? I think I was
0: completely shocked by the, when we were for whatever period of time when we were like the, in the top 10 or whatever for the Apple podcasts after that, what was it like a Vox piece or something? And Could have
1: been the Ars Technica piece.
0: Yeah, and there was this period of time where for music, for, podcasts, for music podcasts. Yeah, I think we in the, the US we got up to, to like, like number or three or something. Or something. It, it was, was like crazy. insanely high, and there was a point we like beat Alec Baldwin's <laughs> podcast, which is like that's always my goal. I mean, ever I doubt we he's keeping track of <laughs> any of this thing. Uh, And I'm sure that's the worst thing that's ever happened to Alec Baldwin.
1: Oh, man. Um, All right. So, everyone, now what we're going to do is something really fun. This is an idea we had that we wanted to do in episode 500 as a full circle moment. Some of you probably know, most of you, that (laughs) our episode one was a really kind of dumb idea (laughs) about doing the top 10 video game soundtracks like oh let's just completely piss everyone off on our first episode. Um, so what we thought would be fun I do remember though we gave the disclaimer that this was just our personal yeah. favorite but it, still it wasn't it was, like, it was not a good idea yeah. uh, we thought it'd be fun for both will and myself separately to now revisit that and come up with as of today our new current top 10 lists of top 10 video game soundtracks. So how fun is that? And I wonder how much this has changed. Cause I remember when we did it first, we both thought that we would have
0: kind of a similar list and right. we had such different lists.
1: Yeah. I think it's still going to be very different today. Um, yeah, this is. I I still remember vividly that recording that episode. So so this is bringing me back. All right, I'm gonna go first. Will this is not an order, everyone. So it is impossible for us to actually and make an order. I I tried not to overthink this. I didn't it's, either. It's, I,
0: top ten lists are dumb. You can't you yeah. can't
1: compare apples and oranges. And
0: the reality is, if I think if I searched my soul and mm-hmm. did my real top ten, they'd all
1: be Mario. <laughs> so it's just like that wouldn't be very interesting. All right, here we go. You ready, Will? Super Mario 64, Sonic 2, Super Mario Galaxy, Shovel Knight, Princess Connect, Donkey Kong Country 2, Zelda A Link to the Past, Sonic 3 and Knuckles, Castlevania 3, and Kirby's Dreamland 3. We have so many similar ones, Carl. <laughs> uh, Let's hear yours. Mine little.
0: are Yoshi's Island, Ocarina of Time, Twilight Princess, Super Mario Galaxy, Princess Connect, Mega Man Two, Super Mario World, Donkey Kong Country Two, Chrono Trigger,
1: and Metroid Fusion. Really cool list. I had on some of my. I mean, I have so many honorable mentions, but I do have Mega Man Two and Chrono Trigger and Yoshi's on my my honorable mentions list.
0: Fusion? Do I really love that more than Super? <laughs> but you Metroid wanted a mix. Prime? I think we
1: both approached it the same way. We want a little bit more variety, w-
0: right? And I knew that there's no way you were going to pick Metroid Fusion. <laughs> where I thought it was possible you could have picked Prime. But
1: the cool thing is, like, I wanted to include some of the things that we've discovered through doing the podcast. Yeah. You know, Princess Connect didn't exist when we right. started the podcast. And now, Will, I don't think you did this, but I just thought this would be fun. I'm going to give my 10 favorite VGM composers right now. Ooh, okay. Um, and again no order at all uh, these are my 10 favorite vgm composers we have koji kondo masato nakamura yuzo Koshiro, dave wise motoaki takanochi we did that spotlight recently Jake kaufman michael land yasunori mitsuda yoko kano and really big surprise here uematsu Wow, what a, that is a full circle, pretty crazy.
0: I think I'd have a lot of similar ones. I think mine would be uh, Koji Kondo. I think De- Masato Nakamura for sure, Uematsu for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yatsunori Mitsuda would be one of them. Takashi Tateshi would be one of them. David Wise would be one of them. And we got four more. Um, <sighs> Who are the last four? Hmm. This is this is interesting. I think. I would go. I mean, honestly, it's hard for me not to just pick Nintendo composers. Right. Because I do think I would put Mihiro Yakoda yeah. in there. Um, yeah, I definitely put Mihiro Yakoda. Um, Three and more. And I think I would have to go uh, Kinyuo Yamashita. Mm, nice. Um, hmm, how many more do I have? Two? You have, I think, two more. Two left. Yeah, this is this is interesting. I mean, I, I'm tempted to go Yoko Shimomura. I'm tempted to
1: go. Um, I had Soyo Oka on mine, yeah, and she Soyo got. I'm gonna do Soyo Oka. Yeah, it you feels gotta right. do Soyo Oka. That feels right. Uh, that's like, in some ways, that's harder than the soundtracks, right. In a way, and I think. Uh, I mean, there's so there's so many. Yeah, it's yeah. it's it is a stupid idea to do it. Um, but yeah, I, yeah. Why did we have that idea on episode one that we should have we should have workshop it more and, and and done a different topic? I think our
0: idea was that we wanted to sort of introduce ourselves to people and sure. just let them know like these are the video game soundtracks that we really love because right. when you say you love video game music that could have meant maybe our top 10 soundtracks were like halo Medal of honor right that kind of thing and it's like we wanted to let people know it's like we're all about old school melodic catchy right stuff
1: so um, now we just have oh, some yasunori mitsuda did i already say that i don't know if you said that he was on my list for sure so you might be at 11 who knows Well, apparently we didn't get enough fan love earlier. Uh, We have this nice little message here that was made by a few of our Discord fam members, a couple of which might be VGM podcasters themselves. So let's take a listen to this little message that we got. Hey, Carl and Will. This is The Messenger, the host
0: of A VGM Journey. And I want to say congratulations on 500 episodes. I've been a long-time fan of your guys' show, and I've been listening since episode 15, and all these years that went by, it's pretty crazy. And you guys have inspired me to do my own podcast. So once again,
7: congratulations on 500 episodes.
6: Hi Carl and Will, it's Naomi from the Discord. Congratulations on 500 episodes. I found your podcast when I was looking to learn more about game music and the composers behind it. I've learned so much from you these past few years, and also feel grateful to be welcomed into your kind community of folks who share the same joy in game music I always have. You and the Discord have been there when I needed company, a place to share, and of course, a perfect playlist. Thanks again for so many harmonies. We all look forward to your future episodes and projects.
7: Greetings, Carl and Will. This is Bedrock, And I'm Shukapow. And we just wanted to congratulate you to... on BGM <laughs> podcast. For 500 episodes and 10 years recording this amazing show. Uh, it has been a lot of fun sharing it with Shukapow over the years. Yeah. What, what were some of your favorites that I let you listen to? Um, let's see. Uh... Well, this is the show where you discovered the Crazy Bus theme. Oh yeah, that's <laughs> true. I mean, the The bad music episode that that one was. Yeah, you liked all of those. Uh, then the uh, Dorian mode episode. Oh yeah, remember definitely. That was a big influence on you. So, anyway, we're not going to ramble. I know you guys have a lot going on. I just wanted to say uh, thanks so much. Your podcast has been a big inspiration to me and a source of a lot of, a lot of joy and just a lot of camaraderie with uh, the family that's built up around it. So. Here's to whatever the future holds. I hope that y'all enjoy your break. And we're both really looking forward to seeing what happens next. Definitely. So take care. Play very good games. Be very good people. And keep making and celebrating very Very good good music.
0: That was so sweet. Thank you, uh, Bedroth and Company, for that.
1: Yes, thank you very much. All right, now we're going to move on to... Whoa, Will, I'm getting a call. Oh, it looks like it's Marty. Hey, Marty, how's it going? Hey, is this a bad time? No, this works. We're recording our episode 500, so uh, it's kind of fitting, actually. How are you?
4: Dude, that's so crazy, because I was actually calling because I was getting this huge wave of Mercado nostalgia, you know, just thinking about the 500 and everything. Yeah, just... we're getting that, too. It's, I think it's going around. Oh, man. Well, if you don't mind, I, I thought I'd maybe just kind of barge in and kind of uh, take over <laughs> whatever you guys were in the middle of.
0: Here, Carl, <laughs> can you fine. put it on speakerphone so I can hear, because I'm not getting any of this.
4: Yeah, here you go, Will. <laughs> awesome. I don't know about you guys, but I mean, there are too many avenues of nostalgia to mention, but um, there is mm. a really rich avenue that I've been thinking about a lot, which has to do with Marcato as this kind of collaborative, musical, composing, performing
1: entity. Force, man. It's a force. That It's been so fun. It, dude, it's
4: so fun. And I mean, it continues to be so fun. And so, yeah. I don't know. I thought it might be fun to... Uh, stroll a little bit down memory lane and also um, kind of pull the curtain back a little bit and get some of y'all's thoughts on, you know, that aspect of, yeah, the Mercado entity. That sounds awesome. Now, for those who don't know, and it's probably the folks listening do know, but um, Super Marcado Brothers extends beyond just the podcast that you're listening to. It's also the name of a composing entity, which Includes combinations of Will and Carl and sometimes myself. And it's also uh, a live music chiptune cover band entity, which includes the three of us and our dear friend Jaime.
1: Who's also a brother of ours, basically. <laughs>
4: yeah, absolutely a brother of ours. So I'm curious, if you guys had to wager talking about the composing entity, which includes... Um, homage albums, kind of speculative homage albums (laughs) that bear the Mercado name, and it also includes video game soundtracks that bear that name. Mm -hmm. What would you guys think is the total number of tracks that that entity has, original tracks that that entity has released into the world, if you had to guess?
1: Oh, wow. I would guess 120? Uh, Yeah, I was thinking
0: maybe around 100 or more like i think 120 that that sounds good i might undersell it just a just a bit i'm gonna go like 98 Ooh, okay
4: okay it is 165 holy wow, crap an, more than I counting so yeah that
1: is way higher than i thought <laughs> yeah and so that's amazing guys like that's so cool I mean, that's that's
4: true, but you've got a long ways to, to get to 200. So we <laughs> definitely need to
1: work. <laughs> yeah, you think about it two ways. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I wanted to focus
4: a little bit on the homage album uh, side of things because um, – I know just how dear that is to all of us, and it's something that Mm -hmm. really started kind of snowballing as as time went on, from the world of Mega Man, to Mario Galaxy, to the Super Nintendo, Super Mario World, you know, She's Island games, to our ongoing series Hero of Legend, Mm -hmm. of music from the Legend of Zelda series, Um, and then individually... Some incredible tributes, ongoing Sonic tribute from Carl, which is I think where this homage idea really all started. Mm. Um, some amazing Mario and Metroid tributes from Will, Kirby tribute from Carl, and
0: then Robo Girl, which is another kind of. <laughs> and then Robo Girl, <laughs> another Mega take Man take on yeah. kind of a Mega Man or just classic NES tribute. I feel like it started as Mega Man, but you sort of expanded it. Beyond um, being purely about that series,
1: yeah, some of them are have been very specific, and then some of them have been more broad. Right.
0: I think when we did Mega Buster, it was specifically like a pastiche to Mega Man. But what I love about Robo Girl, and I feel like what that was in the step of our evolution in terms of these projects, is I think that was the the first one at that point that went as deep as you did into kind of lore world building sure, and that side of kind of creating your own imaginary game that's fully fleshed out and, and realized as concept albums.
4: That's so interesting. Yeah. It's, I wonder if there are almost maybe three pillars of this kind of work. And honestly, uh, it's a strange breed and not something that I think even every composer would be all that interested in tackling, mm-hmm. to be honest. Um, there's a pillar of sound and authenticity of sound. And so for the chip games, that's been about kind of bringing back some of the signature sounds or nailing the actual features of those chipsets. Um, and for games where there's uh, kind of sample based composing, bringing back either the character of those specific samples, and then um, say for things like, uh, of cosmic proportions, which was maybe the first, or is it that was the first. album. Yeah, that yeah. was yeah. the first Mercado tribute, and so there. That in that case, the sound is the sound of you know a modern um, symphony orchestra. So there's that pillar of sound, and then there's this pillar of composing voice. Right. Personally, I think that's both the most stimulating um, and the most challenging. Yeah. Uh, because it's it's becomes very personal trying to find this target where it's like oh I feel like I really understand inhabiting that composer, but I don't want to just be imitating them in
0: I don't know an underhanded way or something like that. Right. Yeah. You don't want to. You don't want it to come off as like a satire or a xerox yeah yeah i want to imitate the composer i don't want to imitate the piece of music because to me it's not very interesting to have a knockoff version of a piece of music but what is interesting to say is like oh i find this composer likes harmonic motion that works this way or they like melodies that emphasize you know this beat of the rhythm or right like whatever specific thing it is and even composers that we haven't Paid tribute to, I feel like I I have those ideas in my head of like if I were going to write a piece in the style of X or Y composer, I know the kinds of things that I would want to do in the music because they're part of that person's identity.
1: In my head, what's made the collaborative album so special, which is different from our solo albums, is the three-way inspiration that happens. And and a lot of that is just the excitement of the composition. It's, like, right. it's fun to get the sounds that are nostalgic, but when we hear a track that, you know, me and Will hear a track that Marty finishes and it really charges us up and makes us want to just do that much better on the next track we do, you know, and then me and Marty hear a track that Will finishes and it, there's this kind of really nice feedback yeah. loop of inspiration... That is one of the reasons why I think the albums are as solid as they are.
4: Well, and sometimes we're hearing those things in like a pretty raw, like voice memo form, and that's really exciting too. Um, Maybe even
1: the most exciting, yeah.
4: Yeah, because in, in some ways, that's that's like a better litmus test. Because if you don't have one of those pillars in place, the sound pillar, and it still is bringing you to mm-hmm. that world um, and exciting you, then you you kind of know you're on to something. And then I'd quickly say that uh, third pillar is something that I. I think emerged over time and that's maybe a more to do with the world building and the lore and kind yeah. of completing the, the kind of imaginative process so that hopefully the listener is really taken away to this other thing. And it doesn't just
0: feel like, I don't know, like an incomplete experience. Absolutely. Yeah. I think of one of my favorite moments in hello world is uh when we go in within the desert track which is kind of it's doing it's like an alternate version of a of a melody in that sort of Koji Kondo style mm-hmm. where it's taking the same theme and doing it in a different pastiche uh genre but we kind of interrupt the music for this death jingle so yeah. the tracks just playing and then you hear this death jingle which is built out of an introduction from one of the other pieces in the track. You know, we tried to do it exactly the way that, you know, the um, death music exists in the Mario series. Right, and then we right. go right from that into the bonus track that um, Marty wrote. And it's this special little moment that to me really
1: captures the type of thing that we experience all the time when playing games. Sure. Well, and that's something that I look forward to exploring in the future is like, what can we do about the experience of listening to the album? Um, that, that is hard to do when you're, when it's not met with a game. Well, Marty, before we get back to uh, our, our episode here recording, is there any thoughts you, you have about the band that you want to leave us with? Yeah, no,
4: absolutely. I would say, um, in some ways, the Super Mercado Brothers band is kind of the ultimate culmination of the whole Mercado entity. is I hope that it brings, you know, the love and passion for video game music that's displayed in the podcast every week. Um, you know, to to a live audience, um, but it also is able to really challenge us as musicians. Right. You know, it's one thing to kind of wax poetic about a video game piece that you really love, but to actually get really um, deep inside of it and to be able to perform it is
1: is another thing. It's really hard, but it's also really fun. <laughs> it
4: ended up being an opportunity to share our our original. Uh, you know selections yeah. from some of our original work, and to see how that all those pieces fit together, and it's it's been a real treat. And I think the um, boy, we didn't we didn't know what was around the corner, but the last Magfest that we attended before COVID, um, yeah, is just I think just such a fond memory. We'll never for forget that. Yeah, us. I mean for and all of the ones being joined the- by Dave Wise and yeah, just the whole. Environment there it was
0: just so mad. I, I think something that, that that I so love about the band is just the variety of music that we do. The fact that a lot of it is technical and difficult to perform, but there are so many neat things. You know, for instance, on our originals trying to reconcile this music with our specific quirky setup of these kind of dual keys, (laughs) electric bass and drums, trying to make that work. And then there are other fun examples, like there's this track we play from uh, Wario's Woods, which is actually an NES game, but when we play it, we use Super Nintendo sounds, um, and it actually ends up, What's cool is it ends up sounding kind of like something from Mario Kart or Pilot Wings or another Soyo Oka um, Super Nintendo soundtrack. And so there are fun things like that where it's really interesting to try to recreate these old sounds, but sometimes we can kind of create these Um, alternate universe versions of pieces of music. Some of my favorite (laughs) ones to do are the ones that we actually aren't capturing chip sounds, but more just honoring the intricacy of the composition. Yeah, I think those are the ones that feel the most natural like in a live setting. There's so much complex counterpoint happening with these two square waves and often really complicated bass lines. And performing that and
1: trying to execute that Uh, Authentically is really hard It's really fun to inject that And to keep that going With modern live audiences It's one of the most You know Fun things ever Is just to see the reactions Of people And that music just really brings so much reaction. So, I mean, I'm really excited for what future collaborations we can do. We have so many cool examples that we've talked about and who knows what the next, you know, new example, new avenues going to be, but it's just been an absolute pleasure to do all of this with you guys. Well, and the good thing is that we're actually brothers. So, I mean, there's kind of no getting rid of one another. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Marty, thanks for popping in uh, to episode 500. Thanks for being probably our first fan and listener <laughs> um, so we really appreciate that, and it's just been so fun to collaborate with you over the years. Wow, that
4: that hit me really hard. I think I think that's probably <laughs> yeah accurate. But wow, it yeah, is. super moved thinking about where everything started and um, and where we are now. So yeah. Well, let's all raise a glass. Incredible. Here's
1: to 2022. Here's to some really fun yeah. memories for us three and more collaborations. Love you guys. Yeah, love you guys too. Love you guys too. Ah, <sighs> all right, everyone. We're now going to end our episode with some closing, some parting thoughts. We'll talk a little bit more about the future. Uh, Will, when you think back on these 10 years, is there any one memory or or image that jumps out at you? I mean, it's a lot of little
0: things, you know. I mean, opening and closing, packing up the SM7 (laughs) into its box... Walking up the stairs at your uh, yeah. old apartment on St. Paul Avenue, um, I remember the smells, I remember the sounds, I remember the arguments and the laughter and the excitement of hearing a new piece of music.
1: Uh, the th- Skype, so many memories. The Skype call jingle. <laughs> we I, the the feeling of
0: nervousness um, when interviewing. composer and it's something that I just don't think I'll ever quite have again Mm -hmm. because I've just met so many composers and It's like it doesn't feel like this distant world behind this invisible barrier. Now I realize, oh, you're just talking to a normal person who has this job. But I think in our minds when we started, it's like we so idolized so many of these people that to us it was like speaking to a celebrity.
1: I also have this image of... Magfest and bringing the Tascam and doing like a podcast episode. I don't know if it was the banjo one we yeah. did with the Kellys, but I just have plenty of memories and images of of that. Um, even there was one where we we kind of did a little debriefing with Jaime on the plane when we were all like really tired after Magfest. Yeah. I mean Megfest, I I have so many memories of that. It's it's hard to
0: yeah Megfest, that. So amazing. Again, all, the, all well. the people, all the fun episodes that we've done with all of our friends and the show and tells, those were always yep. so exciting to share music with each other. Every single episode we've done with Marty. Um,
1: the rock, paper, scissor battles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, I mean,
0: I know my last, my 10th person is Naoshi Mizuta.
1: Interesting. Yeah, I think you're already over 10, but I yeah. don't think
0: I got to 10 <laughs> because I said Yasunori earlier. Someone's
1: bumped. Yeah, we just wanted to thank all of you one more time for staying with us all throughout these 10 years, helping us to grow. I think if we had to pick one aspect that is our favorite... Uh, thing that we've gained from doing this podcast. It is the community. And that's something that we're really excited to uh, to kind of capitalize on going forward in the next era of this show. So yeah, there's not going to be any more numbers on this podcast. We mentioned it last week, but we are going to take a little bit of a break after this episode, which we're really excited to <laughs> relax and, for a bit. Yeah,
0: we don't know how long... So I, I can't
1: confidently tell you when we will be
0: back, but it, it won't be... It, you know it's not gonna be like a year or something no it'll be um it'll be a, I think a respectable break a vacation of yes, sorts of course and but you know you still will be able to we're still going to be on Discord. We'll still and be think, on social media. I
1: think the the next episode we do, I think, is going to be one that will explain some of our upcoming ideas. Yeah, um, kind of a, a, a an introduction to maybe the, the the next era. And the yeah, I think there we have
0: we've talked a little bit, but some of our ideas um, involve a slightly different release schedule. Mm-hmm. I think we're planning on potentially every exploring, other week. Yeah, every other week. Um, where, like we said, exploring doing more non-uniform episodes. And something that I'm so excited about is the idea of having guest hosts. Absolutely. Because I think that's something that we've never tried on this podcast, but... I mean, as I'm sure you guys, a lot of things yeah, I'm sure as you guys are aware, it's like every episode we do is clouded by our own biases. So it, it's going to be really fun to have somebody else on and to get their sort of perspective of like, this is the show that they would run. Well, so
1: we look forward to, to exploring those ideas. We also look forward to hearing from all of you and hearing your ideas for the future. But it's, it's going to be a really fun time. Uh, and this, these first 500 episodes, I mean, the you know, kind of the, the first era of the podcast. We're so proud. I don't think we would have changed anything. Uh, and these episodes always exist. There's so much content for you guys to go back to. Um, so, yeah, I think that's about well, it. And there's so many other
0: great VGM podcasts. There's so many great video game music YouTube channels. I think one of the things I feel encouraged by is that when we started... There weren't that many. I mean, there was right. the Legacy Music Hour. There was Top Score that Emily Reese had, but that was so different. That was this sort of classy NPR. There was only a few show. out there. And Now there's so many podcasts. There's so many shows exploring music theory, and it, and it makes me really happy to know that you know if our podcast did go away, it's there's so many other resources for people to explore this music and the the validation of this art form I think will be preserved forever because there's so much passion behind it yep. and it I think one of the greatest things that can happen to a particular work of art or an artistic movement is once it gets revitalized, once something becomes retro and sort of niche and cool, I don't think the cultural perspective really changes on that thing. It sort of gets frozen in time, and I think that's almost like the perspective of it. So the way that we view video game music like retro stuff now, I kind of think that's how we'll always view it. And as long as games are around, that... You know, pixel art, chip tunes—that early stuff will be with us, and f- partially because I think that will there will always be Sonic the Hedgehog, there will always right. be Mario, there will always be the Legend of Zelda, Final Fantasy, and you Street know, Fighter. in
1: addition to the podcast, just the Super Mario Bros. entity in itself. I'm really looking forward to more soundtracks, more composing work that we're going to do together and separately. Um, I just look forward to to all the other collaborations well, and, and the just band. To, to continue the band, to continue the connection we have with our community. Cannot wait for VGM Con. Want to give one more plug for that before we say goodbye to you guys today. Uh, VGM Con is April 1st to the 3rd. We have our 10th anniversary party and our band performance on Friday, April 1st. So please come to that. We have some people that have already RSVP'd. I think that's about it. We're going to get out of your guys' hair. Thank you for a wonderful experience for 10 years, 500 episodes. We couldn't be more thrilled and more grateful to all of you guys.
4: Yeah, I think seriously. that's about
0: it. We, we owe you all so much. And, you know, when we started this, we had no idea that anybody would listen to it. Um, we probably only had one or two friends listening yep. on the first episode. And Marty, probably. Shout out to Andrew L., yeah. our first real <laughs> fan. Yeah. Um And Jesse, that keys yes. player. Um, I remember listening to the first episode, but... We've come a long way. Yeah. And it just the thank you all for all of the touching emails that you've sent us over the years. I mean, we've gotten so many kind messages. People took the time to write all these things. And I just know for myself, there's so many podcasts and things that I love, and I've never taken the time to write messages to people. So I know that right. that that really is going above and beyond to share with us what this podcast has meant to you. Um, And I just want to, you know, from the bottom of my heart, those messages are, I think that's what keeps me wanting to continue this, knowing that it, it could potentially, you know, move somebody enough to write a message like that. So we are always, um, available by email or social media or on Discord. So I hope that you guys won't be strangers and stick with us, because this podcast is not over, and I think we are going to turn a an exciting new leaf and have absolutely a really um hopeful
1: and fun next chapter. Of I this can't show. wait. We're going to play you guys out with a really fun arrangement of one of our favorite melodies, the ending theme from Super Mario World. We thought it was fitting. We love you guys so much. My name is Carl Brueggemann. And I'm Will Brueggemann. Have a great week, everybody. Peace out.